Those of you who know me know that um, music plays a pretty important role in my life, um, especially helping me process things and, and, and dealing with issues. And you also know that uh, classic rock is a, one of the big things that does that. My Led Zeppelin albums over the last few weeks are almost thin. You can almost see through them. This week has been a Leonard Cohen week. I've been turning Leonard Cohen on my turntable. I haven't been a huge big fan of contemporary Christian music. Um, in the 70s, when CCM started, uh, then we were all pretty big fans of it because all of a sudden somebody realized that you could make a worship song and play it with a guitar and a drum, even electric guitar. You realized that was possible. And so that was a big, big uh, deal. I remember in college attending a concert of the singer, some of you will remember the name, Larry Norman, the famous author of uh, Why Should the Devil Have All the Good Music and Jesus is the Rock and He Rolled My Sins Away. Some of you, there's a couple of recognitions for that. I still remember that concert at college. Big, uh, big deal. But since we uh, left the United States in the late 70s, haven't followed any musical trends since then, as you all know, nor movie trends. Um, so I really haven't followed uh, Christian contemporary music, and I, I still don't. Um, but some of you will remember um, the jars of Is that verse on the, can you put that verse on the screen again? Thanks. Jars of clay. It's a weird introduction to our text of today, but jars of clay, some of you know, is a, is a Christian contemporary music that, uh, group that started around the 90s. I believe they're still around and maybe still doing some stuff. They actually won a couple of Grammy Awards. I know nothing about their music. I listened to a few of their songs this week just to get me into this, uh, into this verse. They actually have a song called 4-7, which comes from 2 Corinthians 4-7, which is what this verse is. That's where their name comes from. I must be honest and say I'm not super impressed. But if it's your thing and you enjoy it and it does something for you, go for it. Whatever turns you on is fine with me because what turns me on probably doesn't turn very many of the rest of you on, and that's all fine. But we have these treasures, says Paul. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. In these weeks, we're looking at a couple of passages from 2 Corinthians. And you may remember from last week, just as introduction, that 2 Corinthians is written by Paul to the church. It's actually his fourth letter to the Corinthian church. And it's written in time of crisis and time of stress, both within the church itself as well as Paul personally as a person is under great, great duress for all kinds of reasons. So it's a book that's, it's a letter that's brutally honest, and, and, and says hard things and deals with hard stuff and then tries to find the hope in that hard stuff. And it's a, I said last week, it's a letter that I often turn to when things are turbulent. And so I've been turning to it in the last, uh, in the last weeks. And so we're, we're looking at some passages from 2 Corinthians today. What I'd like to focus on today, I'm going to do a three pointer. Just note that it's maybe my third three pointer in nine years here at Trinity. Um, we we'll talk about the treasure, we we'll talk about the jars of clay, and then the surpassing power that belongs to God and not to us. What is this treasure? Paul says we have this treasure in jars of clay. And of course, we're, we're falling into the middle 
of, of his thinking here. So this is the treasure in the verses right before that. For what we proclaim, and again, I, we just don't have time today to go through all the background here, so I'm, I'm breaking in. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, says Paul, not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And remember, Paul's preaching in empire, in the Roman Empire. And in the Roman Empire, Caesar was the anointed Lord, not Jesus. But Paul is, is banging against empire with this little phrase. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. And of course, your thoughts go immediately to Genesis 1. 1, right? Go ahead. There we go. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. The earth was without form and void. And the Hebrew, I'm not a Hebrew expert, as you also all know, but the Hebrew here is tohu vabohu. There's this, this, this kind of poetic sounds translated often uh, without form and void. Um, Robert Alter, who translated, he's a Jewish scholar, translated the, old, the, the Hebrew Bible in, into English, has found a magnificent way to translate this without form and void. He says, the earth was in welter and waste. And welter, I don't know if you know this word, I actually had to look it up. But it means a state of wild disorder, a chaotic mass or jumble. The world was in a welter and waste. So from now on, when you read Genesis 1, you read these words without without form and void, think welter and waste, and then you get that poetic of the W's. Welter and waste. And into that welter and waste, God said, let there be light. The light has shine, shone out of darkness, says Paul, in the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that's the treasure. The face of Jesus Christ, which has come into and shines out of the welter and waste of Genesis 1 and the welter and waste of September 2023. That's the treasure. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We're going to get into that just a little bit more at the end. But just, again, when you think of Paul saying we have this treasure, think of this image, the face of Jesus Christ. And remember, this whole last year we've been talking about Jesus from, from the Gospel of John. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. All fits together. The face of Jesus Christ 
shining into and out of welter and waste and darkness, chaos, bringing light. That's the treasure that we have, says Paul, in jars of clay. And Paul describes what he means by that. Because of time, we're not going to read all the passages. But 2 Corinthians is full of ways in which Paul talks about what it means, what he means when he thinks about himself as a jar of clay. In this chapter, chapter 4, he says words like these. He says, I'm afflicted in every way. I'm perplexed, persecuted. I'm forsaken. I'm alone. I'm always carrying about in my body the death of Christ. I'm always being given over to death. Death is at work in us. It's a pretty serious language. Death. Later in 2 Corinthians 6, he talks about his troubles. He talks about his hardships. He talks about his distresses. Those are maybe some things that we can relate to. He talks about his beatings and imprisonments, less we can relate to that. He talks about riots. He talks about hard work. He talks about sleepless nights. He talks about hunger. He talks about dishonor. He talks about bad report. Those may be relevant words. Regarded as imposters, you hypocrite. Regarded as unknown, doing all this work and not being known or recognized for it. Dying, beaten, sorrowful, having nothing. And then in 2 Corinthians 11, it says, I worked hard. I've been in prison, been flogged, exposed to death. Forty lashes minus one, three times beaten with rods, one time stoned, three times shipwrecked, in danger from my own countrymen, from the Jews and from the Gentiles. There's nobody... That wasn't my enemy. In danger in the city and in the country, there's nowhere that I was safe. It was danger at sea, danger from false brothers, labored and toiled, often gone without sleep, known hunger and thirst, been cold and naked. I face daily the pressure of concern for all the churches. And he says, I'm weak. This whole cornucopia of words and of descriptions, autobiographical, all the ways in which Paul looked at his life and looked at himself, both his inner state, his emotional state, his psychological state, his motivational state, as well as what was happening around him. And he says, I'm a jar of clay. I'm a jar of clay. And I don't know how long it's going to be before the cracks that are starting to peer are going to actually break the thing in pieces. And in that jar of clay, in that weakness, is what Paul then describes as the surpassing power that belongs to God and not to us. 
But we have this treasure in jars of clay. So now you know what the treasure is. Now you know what the jar of clay looks like, what he means by that. To show in order that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This word surpassing is the word hyperbole, literally. Hyperbole. It's like... It's like way, way over all bounds. This is the best day of my life. Or whatever it is, hyperbole. The surpassing power. And then a little bit later, he says kind of the same thing in in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 4. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. That, what's that inner self? That treasure. Our outer self, the jar of clay, is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. And just think back on that whole list that I just gave. And he calls that light momentary affliction. Is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory Beyond all comparison. And those three words, beyond all comparison, if you look in the Greek New Testament, the words that are there are hyperbole, hyperbole, literally. So there's hyperbole all over the place here. The power of God, the weight of glory, way beyond any description, hyperbole, just way beyond. This momentary light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. And if I could just make a little excursion for the nerds, said this before, say it almost every time, when you see the word eternal in the New Testament, don't primarily think of heaven when we die. This word eternal is the word age, and it refers, it refers to the age of the kingdom of God. The age in which the Messiah has come and has been crowned king. Or in the words of N.T. Wright, as we've often said here, God's space meeting our space. That's not something that's happening in the future. It's happening now. It's happened. It's happening now. God's space is meeting our space. So when Paul says this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal, he's not talking about the future. He's talking about now. We're rooted in today. God's space is meeting our space. The age of God has broken into our world. God's kingdom has broken into empire. With an eternal, with with a weight glory beyond all comparison hyperbole upon hyperbole glory is this word that shows up all over the New Testament it's hard to think of in concrete ways but for me when I want to think of glory when I want to grab it and again I think you almost all know this I go to John 1.14 
The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This jar of clay in which you find yourself, this jar of clay of a world in which we find ourselves, the eternal word, the creator of heaven and earth, became a jar of clay and dwelt among us and shows his glory, his glory full of grace and truth. Then he stands up on that mountain, the beginning of his ministry. And he tells us how this new kingdom works. He tells us, he tells us what it looks like when God's age breaks into our age. And he says this, blessed are the poor in spirit, those jars of clay. Congratulations, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, the jar of clay of mourning, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, the jar of clay of meekness, for they shall inherit the earth. That's what God's kingdom is made of, those kind of people. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice. They shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. How vulnerable are you? How weak does it appear when you're merciful? When you treat someone not on the basis of what they deserve, but just because you love them, that jar of clay. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure of heart, the jar of clay of being pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Empire doesn't go for peacemaking. Empire doesn't want to make peace. Empire wants to fight. Empire wants to use violence. The kingdom of God says, no, our jar of clay is that we're peacemakers, for we shall be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those of you who suffer in the pursuit of justice, that's what God's kingdom is made out of. This jar of clay of suffering in the pursuit of justice, yes, that's what it's about. That's where you see the face of Jesus. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Jesus stood up on that mountain. The word become flesh. Eternal word, a pot of clay. And this is what he said about what it's like to live in our jar of clay, but rooted in this treasure that is the face of the glory of Jesus.
And then Paul says words that show up everywhere in the New Testament and everywhere in the Scriptures. In twelve, in 4.12, So death is at work in us. We are this jar of clay. Death is at work with us, in us. But life is in you. And then a little bit later, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. In other words, none of this, being a jar of clay, with having this treasure, the, 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 the glory of the face of Christ in it, is just for you. It's never just for you. It is always so that you can pass it on to those who are around you. From the most close person, your own partner, spouse, if you have one, your children, your brothers and sisters, your parents, your grandchildren, into your community, into your workplace, into your school, into your state, into your country, into your world. The Bible is always moving us from out of this treasure that we have in jars of clay into the world so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And in the jar of clay that you may be experiencing, whatever that is, it may be a deep personal thing, it may be just your anxiety and angst about the world, whatever level it is, in that jar of clay is the face of the glory of Jesus. When you look at that, when you appropriate it, when you believe it, when you trust it, when you give your allegiance to him, and he sends you out into the world to be an agent of renewal, for all the other jars of clay. Jesus dwelt among us as a jar of clay. He was tired, lonely, sad, sorrowful. He wept. He was angry at injustice, angry at pain, angry at what people did to people. Angry at what the devil did to people. He ended up himself being broken, beaten, and killed. At that moment, as he hung there on that cross, the eternal weight of glory beyond comparison, hyperbole upon hyperbole, was shown to the world and to the powers of evil. So we, as jars of clay, we come today and we partake of this broken body and this shed blood. If you believe that you're a jar of clay, that you're not going to be able to make it through this life on your own, you're going to mess up Other people are going to mess you up. We just can't do it on our own. 
and that Jesus, in his work, has given us the eternal weight of glory for this day, for the rest of the days of your life, for the rest of your days into eternity. And you are welcome at this table.